To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. No, I probably had COVID like 74 times. I have no clue and I don't care. Everybody liked Blanche. Because Blanche was a pig who took it in the ass. Did you smell your poop? Did you learn anything? Did you read about the dog story? Why the f*** is my ex-girlfriend who I despise calling me? A lot to blame on the news. It's a lot to blame on Anthony Fauci, that Italian leprechaun. Almost like it never existed, but it fucking did. So do me a favor. Go f*** yourself. Slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. There is merchware available at my website. Now go ahead and check out. There's a couple things here and there, such as some flip-flops and some coffee mugs. So go ahead and get yourself some of that for the summertime. Also, if you want to go ahead and get yourself some free stocks, there's a description in the there's an affiliate description in the is an affiliate link in the description down below for the Weeble app, which is an excellent, very detailed uh, stock trading, stock investment, ETFs, indexes, Roth IRA, also a um, high APR right now, according, I believe it's 4.1%. So if you just want to leave money in there, you can get a nice little APR, but you'll get yourself some free stocks if you sign up for the app using my link in the description down below, and then I'll get some free stocks. And that is one way of supporting this platform. They also trade crypto. They also trade, uh, uh, you know, options, all kinds of other things, depending upon your knowledge and your wanting to get involved. And I honestly do recommend you get involved in the stock market to some degree. It is a good way to uh, invest in your future. So go ahead and get subscribed to Weeble. Um, it is my trusted uh, stock investment app. Uh, I do want to, if you have questions, concerns, comments, you can sorry. Rainy day, coffee overload, a little bit tired. I met with a client this weekend who was from Nepal. Nice kid, nice kid. Um, but if you want to go ahead, questions, concerns, comments, you can email me directly, positive sarcasm at outlook.com. Um, or you can go through my website and hit the contact section. So, did you know? So, if you own like a business or something like that, well, no, if you own a business um, and you want to edit the description of your business on Google, you basically have to have a, a letter sent to your address. And if you've never done this, if you want to edit, if you want to get rid of a phone number or something or change the address because you've moved, you have to have a letter sent to your address and then type in that verification code. And then, only then, five days later, can you change that information. Um, I believe I've gone through this before, but I figured this is something I'd let you know, people who are starting DBAs and LLCs and little things like that. Or just you're starting a little website for whatever reason and your contact information is out there. That's something to take into consideration. Um, I do. I have an intro uh, article. I have a mid article. And I have an ending article. And I want to get to these things. So we'll start off tonight. Um this is this is frustrating. Well, it's all frustrating because I'm an easily frustratable person. So maybe you've been hearing some of the things about uh, the new mortgage rate rules that are set to effect in May 1st, and I am looking to hear more information. I don't know if this is essentially fear porn or if this is actually true, but um, we'll go ahead and we'll read through it. This is courtesy of see Fox 8 uh, Greensboro. Was that in North Carolina? Sure, why not? So high credit score, high credit scores will mean higher mortgage rates for home buyers under the new federal rule. Chicago News Nation, as part of the federal housing finance agency's push for affordable housing, affordable housing, home buyers with good credit scores will soon have to pay higher mortgage rates and fees to subsidize people with riskier credit ratings, according to the, uh, a report by the Washington Times. So a new federal rule enforced by the current administration will make it so that people looking to buy a home with a credit score of 680 or higher will have to pay roughly $40 more per month than people with worse credit when taking out a home loan of $400,000 or more, I'm assuming. Data shows a 44% of, uh, of roads in, let's see. Okay, sorry, that's another rank. The new rule, which goes into effect on May 1st, will affect mortgages from private banks, 
uh, from across the nation, according to the Washington Times. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac um, federally backed home loan mortgage securities, home mortgage companies will establish the loan level price adjustments, or LLPAs. Mortgage industry professionals told the New York Post the new rule was an, quote, ugly surprise for home buyers who worked for years to build their credit. And it does take years, sometimes decades to rebuild it for certain. Actually, it takes a few years to rebuild your credit. To be perfectly honest with you, if you get your shit together, you can have a really, really good credit score literally within a couple of years. Um, let me just hit pause here. I'm sorry. One mortgage loan originator uh, told the New York Post that it's going to be a hard conversation to have saying, it's going to be a challenge trying to explain to somebody that says, I worked my whole life for high credit and I put a lot of money down and generally, if you need a conventional loan, you're putting 20% down. And now you're telling me that's a negative now. Uh, David Stevens, the Federal Housing uh, Administration Commissioner for the Obama Administration, told the New York Post the rule is unprecedented. It is quite interesting. So uh, what was I going to say? Okay. So I remember uh, probably back in 2000 – I'd say 2015, I had a really, really bad situation with, with my credit. I had a lot of debt, and I had to figure out a way to get myself out of it without declaring bankruptcy. And I went through a consolidation plan, which was pretty rough. Some of the credit card companies did not like me, but it was the best approach. Um, my brother gave me this information, and essentially what they do is they negotiate for you with the credit card companies to collectively figure out a way uh, to pay off all this stuff and they take a certain amount of money out of your paycheck each week. They put it in a little account. And then little by little, they they negotiate with the credit card companies and figure out a way to get you out of debt within a certain period of time. They managed to get me out of debt, complete debt, within one year, about a year and a half. Yeah, about a year and a half. And the credit bureaus started to see that I was doing I was doing everything I could to pay off this stuff. And my credit score started to go up with it. My credit score started going up because of it. And that put me in a position to have about a 620 credit score, which allowed me to get a loan on another vehicle because I owned my Saab for like probably, what, six years? I bought it in like 2010, I think it was. And it put me in a position to get a car with a very, very nice credit union. The car was okay. And I had that car for a couple of years. And then, unfortunately, it, it, it was – totaled not by me somebody who decided to go driving through a snowstorm and smash into it while it was parked decided that i should part part ways with it um i guess i should say they did me a favor because after that car came the mustang and i've had that ever since um so thank you nissan ultima uh you did me a favor but after that so about a year or so of paying off that loan um i put myself in a position um because all my other debt was completely paid off, and I had a, a car loan on my on my debt on my credit, and that was being paid down significantly, and that made me look really good. And then I paid that loan off as soon as the car was gone. I paid it off immediately, which showed really good credit, and then it put me in good faith with the credit union that gave me the loan, which allowed me to get another car with a with a tier two credit rate. So I did what I was supposed to do to up my credit, and it didn't take me very long. Overall, it took me about three years to get me to about, I'd say, tier two credit. Tier two credit is when you're in like, uh, I'd say the high 600s to the uh, low 700s. So between like 680 and 720, somewhere around there, I guess. Oh, other finance people would tell you this is the range. And I'm just giving you a rough estimate. Uh, once you're essentially in like the 800s, though, you're fucking, you're off and running. You're, you're tier zero or tier one or whatever. You're high tier, and you get the lowest interest rate possible, uh, depending on, depending upon what you're doing. If you're taking out a personal loan or an auto loan or a mortgage, um, you get that high tier credit. So, I paid off the Mustang very, very quickly. I paid off the Mustang in probably two years on like a five-year loan. Um, and I was always paying ahead. So, and then at the same time, all my debt was essentially disappearing. And then, of course, other other things went up uh, in my life to help me be where I am now, in a very very good position. So, but I did that without really any assistance from other loan or other people with loans out there or getting mortgages or whatever. I did it all myself. So. 
under this new rule, if I was to have a 680 or higher credit score, which I do, I, if I was to have a mortgage of $400,000 or more, they're telling me I have to pay $40 a month or more to people who have worse credit. So people who essentially, back in the early 2000s, who took out adjustable rate mortgages, subprime loans, um, those people all defaulted, so they had these adjustable rate mortgages. So when rates kept going up, they couldn't refinance unless they were they couldn't refinance and then essentially got screwed on their loans, couldn't pay them, and were forced to declare bankruptcy. So you're telling me now we're going to give these people another forty dollars a. Uh, are we actually giving them so? Hold on, they'll have to pay forty dollars a month. Well, who are we to to. For people, $40 per month more than people with worse credit. Okay, so are we, we're paying $40 a month more. Is that actual $40 a month going to another person with crappier credit? That, that's my question. We are paying $40 a month more than people with worse credit. Let's just keep that in mind. Let's keep that in mind. right there. People with a credit score of 680 or higher will have to pay about $40 per month more than people with worse credit when taking out a home loan of 400 grand. The new rule goes into effect May 1st, will affect mortgages from private banks, blah, 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 blah. Um, okay. Now, $40 a month. If let's look at it this way, so forty dollars a month, is it actually going to those people who have lower credit scores that are in need in order to achieve this, or is it is it going somewhere else? Like I don't truly believe if we're paying forty dollars a month more, that's going straight to a consumer with a six twenty credit score. That's I don't I don't believe that one bit. You know what's funny? If you were to um, – so if you had – let's just say you had $100 billion and you divided that by roughly 400 million Americans, you get $285. Now, $100 billion. So that's uh, – if you were to take that money, uh, divide it by – yeah, divide it by that amount. So – $100 billion divided by 350 million Americans, you get $285. Where did that $100 billion go? Ukraine. Ukraine. I wonder how they're trying to recoup their losses. So you spend $100 billion in Ukraine, and now all of a sudden you're requiring people who have gone through the whole rigmarole of, uh, of increasing their um, their income-to-debt ratio and made all their payments on time and followed the American process of building their credit score and, and, to, and making sure they had a huge down payment for their house so that they could raise their fucking kids and then pay all their taxes and this, that, and the other thing. And all of a sudden, oh, they got to pay a little bit more. I don't believe for a second that forty dollars per month. So if there's if there is one hundred million Americans, let's say that in, in the next, I mean, how many how many people in the next year or so plan on buying a home that have a six eighty or higher credit score? And then how much money does that generate? And then how much money is actually going to these people that can't afford that? I think when I think about this, it's like, okay, we're going to be giving money, more money to people who have some subprime credit, and we're going to give them money. Let's say, hypothetically, we are – this $40 per month is actually going to people with subprime credit that are actually going to be able to buy a house. If they have subprime credit right now, what makes you think they deserve a house and what makes you think that they're going to be able to pay this shit on time? Because if you give them this money, if you give them this money that I made and they are able to now afford a house when they wouldn't originally pay it. And if you give all these people money and all of a sudden they can afford houses, supposedly afford houses, they get approved for houses. And then all of a sudden they default on those loans and a bunch of people with these tier, low tier credit scores start defaulting on their houses, you're essentially creating the same fucking problem that you did in the early 2000s. You're giving all these people access to these homes that they can't afford with money they didn't earn, 
uh, with loans that they'll eventually default on. And they don't all have to default on it. The loan, it could be 6%. It could be 6%. 6%, hundreds of millions of dollars down the drain. S hundreds of millions of dollars on 6% 6, uh, 6 of those people defaulting. Hundreds of millions of dollars with options and pensions and 401ks and index funds all attached to it. And mortgage bonds and real estate income trusts all attached to these subprime loans. Then the loan, the people default, the loans fail, the mortgage bonds fail, the REITs fail, the index funds fail, and then all of a sudden people aren't aren't getting their retirement. They're not paying their pensions. It's the same. You're doing the same fucking thing all over again. And if you would have not instead sent that hundred billion dollars across the pond to Ukraine. You would have that money that you could actually give to the American consumer, consumer to help them buy that house by four times the amount. That $100 billion that you sent, where we have no idea honestly where it went, could have came back here and you could have helped the consumer achieve, quote, the American dream. But instead, you're telling us we have to pay another $40 a month if we've been good little boys and girls and non-binaries and fucking saved our money and went through the process of building or rebuilding our credit to the point where we are tier one mortgage buyers. Is this also going to apply to people who are trying to buy cars, people who are trying to take out personal loans, people who are trying to do uh, start a business, get a line of credit for a, a business, people's credit cards? Is that what's going to apply to? I mean, this is a rule. Can this rule even be contested? I'm assuming it can. Basically, if you're taking this money in the sake of equity and giving it to people with shittier credit, I'm assuming this rule is challengeable by the, under the Supreme Court if somebody were to undertake it. If you're getting, if you're, if you're feeling the aggressive tone in my voice, I'm, I'm here to tell you, you're not wrong. This rule sucks. This rule sucks. You understand when buying a home. When, when buying a fucking home, you need – you have to pay for an inspector. You have to pay for down payment, which is either uh, – if it's an FHA, you're not paying – you're obviously not really paying. But you have to pay for the home inspection. You got to pay – if it's a uh, USDA loan, it's got to be 3.3%. If it's a mobile home, you're paying 10%. If it's a conventional loan, you're paying 20%. Not to mention moving fees, uh, house setup fees – uh, all kinds of other other shit that you have to do. And just every little bit, every little bit counts. Every little bit counts. And when you're taking out a loan of over $400,000, believe me, every little bit counts. Have you seen the home prices over here in, in, in this area of the, uh, of the world? $400,000 is, I'd say, under. I'd say under. Generally around here, you're paying between Four hundred and fifty to six hundred thousand dollars for a house, easily. And we're talking um, between fourteen hundred and two thousand square feet, with about anywhere from a quarter to an acre to about 0.75 of an acre, and sometimes no garage. So these, this is this this is it is unprecedented. It is foolish, but it is something I would expect of this administration that a lot of people stupidly voted for. Um, it's absolutely asinine, in my. I mean, honestly, why the? You're giving the keys to the kingdom to. You're giving keys to the kingdom for people who can't essentially afford it, who haven't earned it yet. They're not there yet. The whole point of the American dream is you have to earn it. You have to work hard for it. You have to take responsibility for it. And all you keep, all they keep doing, this government, the government now, the government before, the government before then, the government before then, all they keep doing is making it harder and harder and harder. And the guilt trips get bigger and bigger and bigger. And honestly, I think this $40 per month more with people is for mortgages. I think we'll, it'll, it'll eventually... Uh, latch on to uh, car loans. I think it'll uh, latch on to personal loans. I think it'll latch on to because this is out of this is out of the name of equity. Somebody's doing really, really well, and if they take out a, a federal loan, which basically all loans are federal, um, they're making you pay. Now, I mean, oh, it's only forty dollars a month. Well, 
the amount of ta- think about the amount of taxes that you already pay. More people this year are not getting refunds than ever before. So we already pay taxes. We're paying more tax. So we pay our, our taxes for our business. We pay our taxes from our jobs. We pay uh, property taxes. We pay income taxes. We pay additional state taxes. And then, of course, on top of that, we pay our annual taxes. And now on top of this, you're getting another tax. And then there's people who don't have health insurance who are getting an additional penalty. But I don't have that one because uh, I'm single. So fuck that noise. Um, but this is asinine. But it's fine. You know, if, if you just want to keep doing this and essentially burying people, uh, in, it's an, essentially another bill. It's another bill that you're tacking on, on top of $4 gas, on top of increasing energy costs, on top of increasing food costs and core inflation costs, and ever forever printing money, and basically not being able to afford to print more money, and the debt ceiling that's ever increasing. This is all because you're sending money to places where it don't belong. There's $100 billion that went across the pond. That's unaccounted for, in my opinion. $100 billion. And you could have used that money to subsidize this bullshit, but instead, no. You're going to make the people who worked really, really hard and were super responsible in achieving the credit score that they did for taking out these loans. And you're just going to add on a little bit more for whatever reason other than it's just fucking retarded. Unconvincible. So there you go. Just basically to boil it all down... If you did if you did a good job in maintaining your credit score and you plan on taking out a mortgage, just to let you know, you're going to be paying more. And not anything to do with the interest rates right now. Just another 40 bucks on top of that, just because. My opinion, you're going to see another housing market crash. It ain't going to be this year. It ain't going to be next year. I think it's going to be a few years down the road. A few years down the road. Just it ha- what goes up eventually has to come down. And we haven't seen a come down in quite some time. Essentially, with the with the consolidation of wealth that's going on in this country, um, and it's not because of the of the the wealthy. It's because of people we can't see or, or consider themselves uh, above the law or unaccountable. And we almost have no say anymore. It really does suck. Because the people we believe that we're voting for, um, that are quote going to do the right thing, just end up fucking us in the end. Because we have yet to take. Because the one thing that did not exist when the Constitution was invent was Constitution was created was the stock market. Everything else was essentially the Freedom of Information, the Second Amendment, all that stuff was accounted for, rock solid. The internet wasn't invented, but that's the Freedom of Information, so that still applies. But the stock market was not invented. Our forefathers, I don't, I don't know. If they saw that, if you could explain it to me, I'd love to. But as far as I'm concerned, the separation of church and state, the same thing applies the separation of the stock market and politics. And those two money and politics need to be pulled apart, pulled apart hard because the way I see it, their best, our best interests are not at heart with them. hundred billion dollars. Anyways, we're going to move on to some more sad news. Uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. We've seen this coming for quite some time. They have about 500, well, they currently had about 500 locations. And even though consumerism is still pretty high, people are still spending, it just, I I do go to these, before 2020, I did see, um, you know, people constantly shopping in and around uh, the malls. The malls were packed. But after that, it was kind of something, something needed to come to eventually just kind of show us the truth of what was happening with all these giant ass shopping malls and outlets and stuff like that. And, you know, I do see a lot of the times when I, I drive past these outlets, they're packed. They're packed with people. But I don't know if people are just bored and they're just walking around looking at stuff but actually not buying anything. But the truth lies when you go by a mall and there's nobody there. Like, there's a couple malls around here. The Steeplegate Mall, there's the Fox Run Mall, there is, um, there's the mall in New Hampshire, and nobody's really there. And obviously, it has claimed one of its, uh, one of its first few victims here, Bed Bath & Beyond, which, okay, there's Chapter 7 bankruptcy, there's Chapter 11 bankruptcy, there's two different types. At the end of the day, they're both bankruptcies. Um, 
one of them essentially like chapter seven bankruptcy is essentially take whatever you can please don't hurt me and then basically the whole thing gets liquidated chapter 11 is a res- is essentially restructuring it's an effort to save face but i think that is a ploy so they are filed for bankruptcy protection they are planning to this is literally 43 minutes ago wind down its business after years of losses and we knew this uh, gamestop was going to be one of those victims but apparently the uh the reddit and the wall street betters managed to turn that situation around at least i think they did but i don't think they gave two shits about bed bath and beyond so retailer is short on cash and the company had warned about potential bankruptcies for months it needed about a 375 million dollar loan to get through the holidays it struck a one billion dollar financial dealing uh, financing dealing with a hedge fund in February to put off the bankruptcy filing, then scrapped that deal and tried to raise this month and tried this month to raise 300 million from other investors. None of the moves were enough, nor were there efforts to stem losses by closing hundreds of stores. Sales evaporated, stock plummeted below one dollar in recent weeks as the rescue efforts dim. Obviously, if shareholders are paying below one dollar, there's no money there to pay your staff. The retailer filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy Sunday in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court in New Jersey and said it expects to close all of its 360 Bed Bath & Beyond and 120 Buy Baby Buy, Buy Buy Baby retail locations eventually. Top lender Six Street Partners has put up $240 million in financing to keep Bed Bath & Beyond operating throughout through the liquidation process. Um, bankruptcy gives Beth and Beth Meon breathing room to conduct going out of business sales at its physical stores and solicit interest from potential buyers for its remaining assets, such as branding individual investors who continue to back Bed Bath and Beyond during its final months. When it was flooding the market with shares, will likely be wiped out in Chapter 11, which prioritizes the repayment of debt over shareholder recoveries. If a bidder emerges from for the business in bankruptcy, Bed Bath & Beyond said it would pivot away from its liquidation plans to pursue a sale. Holly Etlin, the chief, company's chief restructuring officer <laughs> and chief financial officer, struck an optimistic note about the prospects of finding a buyer. Quote, Bed Bath & Beyond has pulled off long-shot transactions several times over the past six months, so nobody should think Bed Bath & Beyond should not be able to do so again, Miss Etlin said in a court filing Sunday. Uh, once a cultural phenomenon, pop culture, Bed Bath & Beyond, losing shoppers to rivals, struggling to stock its stores, replacing KitchenAid mixers with other name brands, private label goods further alienated vendors and customers. Uh, it joins a growing list of once ubiquitous retail chains seeking court protection. JCPenney's continues to operate hundreds of stores. Um, okay, some like JCPenney continue to operate hundreds of stores, which they do. Others like Sears and Toys R Us closed most of their locations, while Circuit City and Linens and Things disappeared altogether. The country's largest wedding dress retail, retailer, David Bri- David's Bridal LLC, recent filed for bankruptcy, said it would shut all of its stores if it doesn't quite, quite find a buyer. Um, second, chain second bankruptcy finalist in five years. Bed Bath & Beyond's plan to close all of its stores is another potential blow to retail landlords that are already contending with higher interest rates that have pushed up their borrowing costs. So that's, I mean, you got 512 stores all closing most likely. Um, imagine the commercial implications of that. Like these commercial, I mean, these commercial areas, this, this, this property, this land, these buildings, the upkeep. I mean, these people own, you know, tens of billions if not hundreds of billions of dollars in property and they got to fill that property with renters and they have loans on these giant commercial properties and my concern is is like okay maybe the real estate maybe the the uh uh what do you call it um residential real estate is actually not in bad shape but commercial real estate with the whole work at home situation the lack of interest of, of of current shoppers um supply chain issues trying to find uh you know workers that is a potential collapse commercial real estate is definitely one of those things it's not needed as much anymore especially with the internet so this is a con- this is definitely a concern and we're not the c- question is how much questionable 
commercial real estate is out there? How much collapsing real est- commercial real estate is out there? How much money is riding on this? How many options? How many pensions? How many 401ks? How many index funds? How many uh, real estate income trusts? How many this, that, and the other, uh, you know, connected items, connected, you know, what uh, economic tissues are involved here? And if this collapse continues with other stores, which it will, Best Buy is probably going to be the next one to drop, in my opinion. Um, what the hell is going to happen? And how does this how does this affect the stock market, which is at times seemingly not connected to the real world? Um, Bed Bath and Beyond's plan to close all the stores is another potential blow to retail landlords. That yep, like I just said. However, property owners have some reason for hope. As big box real estate real retailers retailers such as bookseller Barnes and Noble and discount clothing store Burlington have shown signs of expanding again after years of shrinking their real estate footprints. Okay, so that's where they are now. But see, like I said, how many Bed Bath and Beyond stores are there? Though there was the state with the most is Texas with 53. That's about 10 percent. But there's um. There was a complete list of uh, about 512 Bed Bath & Beyond locations. And another funny thing was there was a piece here. It's, I don't know if Chapter 7 or Chapter 11, if this has a, a factor in it, but CEO Sue Grove is eligible for $7 million in severance pay. $7 million. Now, obviously, you can argue, like, well, if you're filing for bankruptcy – do you really deserve any severance pay? Well, it's in their contract. That's their golden parachute. This has always been a, a bothering thing to me. Like, I have no problem with millionaires making, 100,000ers making money, Bil- millionaires making money, billionaires making their money. I have no issue with it. If, you su- if your business is successful, you can get paid. I don't give a fuck what you make. Make your money. But if your business fails... And you're the CEO, the CFO, major executive, owner of the company, president, Jesus fucking Christ. If your business fails, there's no reason. Your contract should be null and void for any severance pay. I mean, in my opinion, please, somebody explain to me where I may be wrong in this scenario. Because you're already making hundreds of thousands of dollars or if not millions of dollars. Whether you are the uh, CFO or CEO of a major retailer or if you are the president of a, of a hospital. In either case, if, you're, if your business fails or if your business is failing and you're getting – then if your business fails, basically, you don't get a severance pay. You've already made enough. You've done enough damage, and that $7 million should be going to the people you've essentially fucked over, whether it's the consumers um, or, most importantly, the workers. Okay, yeah, you took the risk to go in there and either start the business, revamp the business, improve the business, save the business, but you failed ultimately. So why should you get that money? You've already gotten some a severe amount of upfront cash. So I don't believe that you're entitled to this. This is Amer- America is built on risk. And if you're just going in there to collect the paycheck as a CFO or a CEO and you're already making a hundred, couple, several hundred thousand dollars, if not several million dollars to run the place, but you ultimately fail, what makes you think you deserve that money? You don't deserve a golden parachute. You did nothing to earn it. Why? Because you have a fucking master's degree in business marketing? Get the fuck out of here. All you're doing is failing upwards into a position that you didn't deserve. Now, I'm not saying that the people, the people who are the, the frontline workers who are getting laid off deserve any severance pay. I'm just saying that you definitely don't. And if you have several thousand workers that you're laying off, that 7.1 million might – it's better off to put them in the position to get back on their feet. This is a position where – this is a situation where I do favor the workers over the CEO. The CEO has already made their money, and the company has failed. The company – 500 stores are gone. All those people who are regular people are out of a job. They have to go find another job or go or switch their other part-time job to a full-time job or do whatever. That 7 million in my opinion does not belong to you. If it's going to go anywhere, it should go to the shareholders, it should go to the workers or divided between the workers that you fucking fired and the shareholders that you fucked over. Or the bank that took the took most importantly the bank that 
essentially is collecting your assets and trying to bail your ass out. Most importantly, you paying off your loan is the most important thing. And there's any money left over, it goes to the, it's divided between the shareholders and the workers that you basically failed. That's an important thing for me. That's where I, I fall on that. Obviously, you want to pay the loan off. But I guess if you really want, if I really want to make my statement concrete, that seven million dollars in severance does not belong to CEO Sue Gov. None of it. N none of it. If she's getting seven million dollars in severance, I can only imagine what her actual pay is. So, and then the and then the rest of the article talks about how um, you know. There were some CEO. There was the, the employees were recently laid off. They didn't receive their severance, and if they did, it was 10 to 12 weeks, which is a few months, which is pretty common. And then the uh, the Bed Bath and Beyond, let's see, former Bed Bath and Beyond CEO is suing the company for almost seven million dollars in unpaid severance, which just goes to show you how fucked up that whole thing was to begin with. That money isn't there. That money doesn't exist. In my opinion, if you are filing bankruptcy as a CEO, as a CFO. Or as a basically boarded executive, that money doesn't belong to you. It could belong to a bunch of other people, just not you. Um, we are at um, we're at four, uh, 34 minutes. I did. I actually wanted to get this get to this because I actually have a, a kind of a tie-in uh, personally with this. Now, um, I don't know if you've heard on the news about. So it, I saw it in the I, I saw it in. I figured I'd mention it um, because I, I've had some involvement with this in the past in some fashion. So the U.S. Embassy um, was evacuated uh, just recently in the Sudan. The Sudan is – so Sudan is actually two countries. So you have Sudan and you have South Sudan. Originally, it was all one country, but a civil war broke out because of some political difference, political uh, – whatchamacallit, political whatever, and became – for whatever reason, it became, um, you know, it became two countries. Now, in Sudan, or in South Sudan, you don't have a, a few, three or four, you know, tribes or political parties. You have around 50. So, when it comes to getting things done, um, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. So, uh I'm, I, there's no reason to go into detail about what's taking place. I can just tell you there is civil unrest. It's turned to, there's a civil war. There's been civil wars in the past in this area. Um, continued fighting. Um, they have some serious artillery over there in, in the South Sudan. They have machine guns. They have rockets. They have all kinds of shit that can do some serious damage in the Sudan, and it's not good. A lot of women and chil children suffer uh, during all this fighting. Uh, nobody's immune to the trauma. We have a lot of people, refugees, immigrants from the Sudan who live actually here in New England. Um, some in the Portland area, some in the Boston area, some in the Manchester, New Hampshire area um, who have seen this trauma firsthand. And some of the tribes that are over there are actually very, quite, quite peaceful. And I've met some of those people who belong to those tribes. Um, very, very nice. Now, there are some tribes, though, uh, over there that they control the oil air, the oil sections of South Sudan who are quite violent. There are some of them that live in the city um, areas of South Sudan and in Sudan who are actually quite violent. And it's just – now, why? I don't exactly know. I just know that this was explained to me by people who actually lived in the Sudan who saw this violence firsthand. And this doesn't come as a surprise to me. It is sad to see, but I was told firsthand that this was going to happen again. This fighting, this war-torn fighting, um, literally in the cities and in the jungles and in the rural areas all over Sudan. Um, I mean, there are UN-protected areas where there's the, the, the UN bought land from the Sudanese and, and the South Sudanese or from Kenya or from wherever. And they tried to send their children to school there. They tried to protect people there. It's still a giant mess. And people apparently, according to my sources, 
actual sources from there um, who still try to travel back and forth to this region of the world. People were staring at each other who, who were knowing, knowingly from different tribes would, would be looking at each other in a very aggressive manner saying, I, when this war starts again, I'm going to come for you. Like imagine working with somebody who, because you're from a different tribe, despises you. And this is a reality that doesn't necessarily translate in the United States, although it can sometimes cracked up to be like that, but it's not. Like literally working in an office environment where you walk by somebody on the street or in the office and they look at you like, yeah, we're fine for now until the war starts and then you and I are on. That's pretty scary because they hold – apparently grudge holding over there is a thing. People just can't drop it. They don't drop the issue. It's like we are countrymen now and what's what's in the past is what's in the past. It's no, you, you killed my brother. You killed my sister. You killed my family even though you didn't. You just happen to be from a tribe. And I've seen some of that firsthand here um, in this country. So I was I did a wedding once where two men showed up. Um, one man was from one tribe in the country of South Sudan or Sudan, and one man was from another tribe. Um, and I believe something to do with a woman, of course. But one man was there. Another man walked in, looked, and this these two looked each other up and down, never said a word. And I saw this, and I go... I don't like this. And especially in a town that was Manchester that's been ever increasingly violent over the past few years. There was a pretty uh, revolting shooting that took place a couple months ago just outside of a, an arena, a pretty big arena uh, on the main strip. And it was a man was shot at point blank range just because he, uh, another guy got punched in the face. Um, it's pretty, pretty rough. Um, guy died right on the scene. But those two who looked each other up and down, I was like, there's going to be an issue. This is this is an issue. And sure enough, there was, and the police were called. Um, thankfully, I don't believe anybody was hurt, but obviously the police department saw what was going on. There was an altercation outside, and it was handled. So I tried talking to one of the elders about what was going on, and they were having a roundtable. There was literally a dozen men sitting there discussing the politics of the country. And the one who I felt to be the most knowledgeable, um, good religious man, told me, there's nothing you can do. There's a lot of aggression that's toxified the atmosphere over in that part of the world. And there's no stopping another civil war. And this was told to me back in 2019 that this is going – this will happen again. People have millions of people have died, and more are going to die. He goes, it's sad, but in many ways it's necessary. This is what he told me. He goes, in many ways this is necessary. There's going to be more killing. They have to essentially get this out of their system, and this is how countries are formed. Uh, in, in some cases, through extreme violence. The problem is, though, and this is his opinion, even though he's familiar with the situation because he lived through it and he married a wonderful woman who is from a very peaceful tribe who's a very giving and loving woman and that's my opinion of her too um that these the situation is going to occur and that's how the country is essentially going to come to come together but it's going to come together through violence and a lot more people are going to suffer there's going to be he talks about, you know, tanks running over children, uh, houses exploding, fighting in the streets, death and dismay everywhere. Um, he says it's necessary and it's going to happen. And it's the only way that this country will form is to get it out of their system because people are just holding grudges. Uh, I don't it's, – it's hard to explain, but it's how I can explain it. He just said essentially it was bound to happen. Or this is going to happen, which he was right. It is happening right now. Even though there's current, supposedly a ceasefire going on right now, but that never fucking works. Um, more people are going to die in order for this situation to evolve. He was right. 
about the first part. The question about, about the second part that he mentioned about is this going to actually c- cause the country to come together? Is eventually the fighting going to become to such a degree where resources will begin to be shared, tribes will come together, and will say, this is when the violence stops? Like, is there going to be like that um, that Godfather moment where uh, Corleone stands, you know, Vito Corleone stands up and says, "I want to call a meeting of the five families. This war stops now because this was after um, Santino was killed at the Tolbus. Look how they massacred my boy, and he at that point said, "This bloodshed has to stop." It has caused the death of my son, but I am willing to, at this point, put all of all of this aside in the sake of peace, um, for the for the grace of my living sons. I want my living sons and daughters to continue living and thriving and see a better world. Can we come to Can we come to terms? Can we bring peace? That's what it's going to take in the Sudan. And the question is, is can these leaders, these leaders of these tribes, these political leaders, these civilians come together and be like, we're brothers and sisters now. Let's make this war stop. I don't. The, the answer is I don't know. Because I don't know of how many external influences, whether it's China or, or Russia or India or America. Obviously, if you fuel them, like we did in Ukraine. That was a war that we probably could have come to a peaceful resolution. This war could have been over months ago, but I think, in my opinion, we obviously fueled it. We fueled it with $100 billion. If we took that money away now, they'd be, they'd be at the bargaining table as we speak. Or if they not, they would have not already. But if we're fueling this, or if we, are, if we or other countries are at the cause of this, obviously because of power and control of the region... If somebody's fueling this war, this civil war, it's going to continue to happen. You take the fuel out of it, cooler heads prevail. Or desperate minds come to the, come together. So, unfortunately, peace comes after violence. The order comes after chaos. And prosperity comes after death. And, unsa- and sadly, as we're seeing right now unfold in, this, in the Sudan area, it's so bad that we had to evacuate because we had an embassy there. And I feel bad for those whom I know and those whom I've worked with and done. I've done a nonprofit video for them. Um, you can see it on my original page, Positive Sarcasm on YouTube, uh, of them trying to build hope, you know, schooling and and clothing and food and all that other stuff and uh, I feel bad for them because I'm sure I'm sure they know all those who are involved that are still over there um, that are caught up in all this and uh, I wish them well I hope that uh, that this eventually does come to an end and that a country of uh, you know rises from it but this was something, this was foreshadowed and told to me that this was going to happen. And sure enough, he was right. So, Godspeed to the people in Sudan and South Sudan. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We, uh, we're going to close up shop for this week on the, on the, on the uh, podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening, watching, and subscribing. If you uh, want to check out this podcast in its video version, you can go ahead and uh, hit me up on Rumble, Positive Sarcasm, still available at Facebook.com slash POS Sarcasm. And if you want to just download it, stream it, you can get it right from the website or anywhere where podcasts are available. I've made it super easy for you. Whatever platform you use, uh, it's readily available for you in audio format. And if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can email me through my website, the contact section, or you can email me directly, positive sarcasm at outlook.com. So uh, we covered several topics today. Um, the whole mortgage back bullshit, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond closing all 512 stores, and the situation in the Sudan. So if you have any questions about those I- items or where I found the information, feel free to contact me and let me know. If you also want to have a little lighter version of my personality, you can go ahead and check out my music reaction channel, Positive Sarcasm Reactions. In the meantime, thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing, and I'll talk to you all next week. Recorded here from the Spare Parts Studios. 
This has been a Positive Sarcasm presentation.